Welcome to the Lems Aware Podcast. We've been waiting for you. My name is Kevin Fryert, and I will be your host. Lambert-Eaton Myasthenic Syndrome, also known as LEMS, is a rare neuromuscular disease that can have a profound effect on a person's mobility and quality of life. LEMS Aware was created to deliver relevant information, resources, and connections to patients and caregivers who may be living with or affected by LEMS. The LEMS Aware podcast lets you hear from people in the LEMS community on topics that matter to you. Welcome back to the LEMS Aware podcast. We are so glad that you decided to join us again and take a peek into another LEMS patient's life. Today we're talking to Greg, and he's someone you're going to learn pretty quickly. He's someone who's taken some risks in his life, and now he's taking a big risk by being on a podcast here, and we appreciate that. So, Greg, could you tell us a little bit about where you live and what do you see outside your home right now if you were to look out the front window okay i live in north idaho up in a little town called rathrum idaho and uh, if i was to look out my front window right now i would see uh, trees mountains there's a few pastures thrown in there with horses and cows and and one neighbor has a, a, a mule, and uh, uh, I've lived in the country pretty much most of my life. I'm from North. I'm from Idaho, and uh, uh, I just couldn't imagine living anyplace else. I love the country. I love the mountains, and I love the trees. It sounds like rush hour. It must be terrible there. Well, it's getting there. <laughs> <laughs> And so what do you really love about Idaho? What drew you there? How'd you get there? Well, uh, like I say, I was born in Idaho. I was born in southern Idaho in the Boise area. And my father uh, worked for the Idaho State Police, and he was transferred to up to the Coeur d'Alene area, which is just Raftrum, just about 15 miles outside of Coeur d'Alene. And uh, so that that brought us up here, and we we came up in 1959, and I've been in North Idaho the rest of my life. I, uh, other than being in the service and some traveling, I just love the mountains. I love the trees. I love the outdoors. I always have. I just uh, hiking, camping, canoeing. Uh, motorcycles. Uh, I just I I've just loved it all. Yeah, you just you just like give gave me a vivid picture in my head of what I assume living in a place like that is like. Very very active, um, and so I think that that's you just told us all the different things you're doing. It's a longer list than you know I've done in this past year. I think. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your career journey? Okay, well, when I graduated high school, uh, the the two main uh, uh, industries in this area at the time I graduated was mining, underground mining, uh, hard rock mining, and logging. And uh, 
you know, that wasn't anything that I was really excited in. And I, I came from a military back uh, family. So I joined the Marine Corps at 17, right out of high school. Uh get some experience in life and, and get to travel the world and see some. And I enjoyed that very much. Uh, after my uh, six years in the Marine Corps, I uh, uh, hauled racehorses coast to coast. Uh, and and it, was, it was fun. It was exciting. I got to see the United States. I got to see places that I'd never seen before. I loved it to death. But it it was uh, one of those that you were always on the road and always going, and I wanted some time at home, and, and I wanted to get back to North Idaho, so I came back to North Idaho, and after working a logging job and uh, a couple other, I uh, hired on to an explosives company, and and I worked with that company for the next 23 years in, in explosives industry. We did... Uh, some minor underground assistance, uh, but most of it was was uh, surface blasting. I was uh, out of my 23 years. I was 18 years as operations supervisor, and of that, uh, um, basically the whole time I was one of the blasters, and then I became the head blaster. And uh, I did blasting road pit, quarry, all types of blasting all over the uh, Pacific Northwest, Washington, Idaho, Montana, Oregon, and a little bit into Wyoming. Um, then after that, when when things started uh, uh, changing in the explosives industry and I needed to make a change, I, uh, with some coercion from some of my friends, I went into nursing. And I spent the rest of my, my working career as a registered nurse, starting out in the emergency department and ending up in the surgical uh, uh, arena. And uh, during that time, that's when my journey with Lim started, and it forced me to retire from that. So most of your career was pretty high energy stuff. Traveling all over, logging just sounds like a... Um, exhausting work. Um, I hate cutting down trees and moving them around. And then blasting. How did becoming a nurse fit into that? Well, well you're, and you're right. I've always been very energetic. I mean, from a kid in school, playing sports. Uh, I raced motorcycles for 10 years. I've, I've ridden horses my whole life. And, uh, I, I, you know, from uh, I did a little rodeo. I can't say even enough to say I'm experienced. It's just um, I like the, the, the excitement of, of, of uh, riding wild, crazy horses, but uh, uh, getting thrown on my head all the time wasn't just kind of one of the things which, but uh, anyway. Um, but so the the explosives to nursing i was i was riding horses and i belonged to a group of of friends and half of them were doctors and the other half or so were nurses and and when it came down and they kept telling me i need to get out of that crazy explosives industry and i need to get into something a little more calm like nursing <laughs> so when i decided to make the move to another career 
I, you know, they kept trying to talk me in, and I thought, well, now I'm too old. I can't do all that schooling. Well, after job shadowing, I liked it. I uh, went to school, and and I just enjoyed it. I thrived on it, and and I, I really enjoyed it. And I think it was one of the best career changes I ever made. And to say uh, nursing is, is, especially in the emergency department, fit right in with the adrenaline rush that I had always been part of. Yeah, it's um, people may not realize that, but you know, the, we watch medical shows, we see all that, and and we find it interesting when you're there and you're really dealing with it. Yeah, the adrenaline's pumping. Um, the stakes are high. So what did you learn about yourself as a nurse? You will, you will definitely find out the, uh, uh, I've always liked helping people, you know, and I, I've, you know, I'd stop and help somebody broke down on the side of the road or, you know, anybody in need. I, I, but you never realize until you step into that position, especially in emergency department, and when you realize that somebody's life is in, you know, re, relying on you, you you can't imagine the the adrenaline. You can't imagine the intensity. I mean, it, it was almost more more intense than than racing motorcycles or on a you know blast anything. It, it was just uh, it was. Uh, it's it just hard for me to explain, you know, not to, to make it sound like, ooh, you got excited, you know, somebody, but um, you just, you stepped up. It, it, it was a, 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 you could be having a bad day and kind of feeling a little tired and run down. And when, when they called a code or something like that, or you knew you was having a, a trauma come in, it just everything went out, and all of a sudden your your senses were intense. You 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 were thinking everything. I mean, everything just started flowing into you, and it was a it was a, a real experience. So you mentioned that your limbs actually took you away from that career, but how did it just initially start? When did you see it start to impact your life, and what was that like? Well, I, I, it started in 2018. I, in, in probably around June, but in May of 2018, I had my third major surgery in about eight months, seven to eight months. And I generally, and I've had several, but I, I generally recover pretty quick. And I just wasn't recovering. And, and as the summer went on, I just, I felt myself fatiguing extremely bad. Um, some of the things that I just never mentioned to a doctor or anything, I was having a little bit of vision problems. I was having dry mouth. I I mean, dry skin. Usually in summer, you're kind of sweaty because of the heat and all that. You don't get the real problem of dry skin like winter. But I was having dry skin and just... Uh, there was some things, and I thought, well, this is going to come, you know, I'm a little older now, and, and it's just going to take me a little time. But by, by uh, oh, I'm, I'm trying to think, uh, uh, 2000, January of 2019, I was dragging. I was having a hard time getting around, and I went to my doctor, and 
and they ran all sorts of tests and everything and and uh it was that was the start of my journey for being diagnosed with limbs. And so, of all those things that were happening, what really troubled you most? I mean, more as the impact on your life than the symptoms. At that time, when 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 my journey started, it was it was the weakness in my legs and and my arms. I. I kind of one of those I always prided myself on being a pretty pretty active pretty in shape pretty strong guy I was able to to you know hike the mountains and and kayak and and all the stuff I I was able to buck hay all the time work with my horses and all and I was just getting where I would have a hard time walking the the um 100 to 150 feet out to my my shop barn area and and without being totally fatigued and and that was concerning and frustrating so I, at that time I kept thinking uh, that I'm not getting over this <laughs> yeah it's those everyday things that that you enjoy and you notice it and it's like wait who a walk out the backyard and I'm tired, something's wrong. How did you finally get diagnosed correctly? Well, it was it was kind of a long journey. It started, like I said, in the uh, um, uh, in January, right around 2019. My journey started with going and seeing my primary care physician. He ran a load of tests. He ordered a brain MRI and and. I went through all these tests, uh, you know, for for more of your your more common, I would say, diseases that they saw around here, um, uh, you know, like MS, myasthenia gravis, uh, Hashimoto's, that kind of diseases and all, and everything kept coming back negative. But as the doctor did the my primary care did the physical tests like reflex uh, uh, reactions and everything. He was seeing that they were absent and also he sent me to a neurologist. After some testing, you know, a lot of blood, he, he re, redid some blood tests and all, and he did electromyography. And that's where they test your muscles with elect, electrical stimulation to see the reaction. And it showed that I had a real deficit in there. So after a little studying all, he came up with, what he thought was the diagnosis, he started me on a treatment that this was supposed to be a curable situation, and in six months of treatment, I should be back pretty much back to normal. And we started that treatment in July of 2019, but as I went through, um, it wasn't getting any better with the treatments. We, we we decided on through that we were going to, but I had gotten so bad that I was at work. I was down to working one day a week, only four hours. I wasn't able to do bedside work. I was just doing my charge nurse duties, and, and I was walking with a cane and getting weaker. So I ended up retiring in the fall of 2019 from nursing. By 2020, nothing had, January, nothing had improved. So we decided to stop the treatment. 
Unfortunately, COVID hit at that time, so getting into the hospital for more treatments was very difficult. We did a lot of online communication. Fortunately, my neurologist was associated with a, a, a nationally known clinic that gave him some advice to, to test me for a certain um, uh, condition. And uh, they finally, in, in June, they were able to call me back and ha do another electromyography. And they did one specific for, for the limbs condition, Lambert-Eaton myasthenic syndrome. That came back positive, so they sent me to, to the labs to get my uh, a blood test, and they were checking for, for uh, uh, your, your voltage calcium gate uh, 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 antibodies. And uh, those came back positive. And he called me up and said, well, we have a positive diagnosis. And this was in, in the 1st of July of 2020 that I was diagnosed with Lambert-Eaton myasthenic syndrome. By the end of July, they started me on my treatments. So now that you've been diagnosed, how have things changed? Well, you know, first of all, knowing what the diagnosis was, was a big relief because up until then we were walking in limbo and, and you know, your mind's going and of course as a nurse, you know, you're starting to try to self-diagnose, which we do, which is not the right thing to do. Uh, but your mind goes to all these things like that it could be, you know, and unfortunately as humans, we always a lot of times sometimes look at the worst case scenario, which is not the right thing to do. But once I got the diagnosis, it was like, okay, I studied about limbs and I saw, okay, limbs is not curable, but it's treatable. And and I was like, okay, so so this is something I will have to live with. Once we got on the treatment, you know, then I was able to, I started regaining some of my strength uh, uh, back. Uh, not to the point that I was, you know, pre-surgery, but um, I was being able to to walk without a cane now. I was able to to get in, uh, uh, and it progressed. But at that time, I was lucky if I could I could do an hour's worth of activity without being totally wiped out. And now I was starting to gain and, and coming up, I was, you know, it was an hour here. Pretty soon I'm doing a couple hours now. I can go out and get in four or five hours worth of uh, good activity. So so it was all positive there. Well, that's great. And I think that, you know, you talked about just the, the knowing part of it. I think that that relieves people so much when they get the correct diagnosis. I see it over and over with the people I work with that not knowing is a burden in itself. And once you know, then then you can get a treatment that that's targeted for what you're doing or what you what you're experiencing. So it's so good to hear that you've you've progressed so far. That you've you've you know you can use the canes less and and you can get farther out. You know, I 
I'm guessing that you really had to advocate for yourself as you were going through this. You talked about a two-year period of, of trying to get the answers. What advice would you give patients about advocating for themselves? Too many times when we go in to talk to our doctor, we go in with, with what we consider is the main symptoms. And so many times we leave out those little symptoms that we think are just little nagging nothing. I didn't talk to my physician for a long time about my, my vision difficulties until I ended up having to have uh, my prescription changed three times within a two-month period. And then it was like, ooh, I wonder if this is part of my difficulty. I never talked to him about my dry mouth problem. I had, and I still do, have terrible dry mouth. Dry skin is very prevalent with Lambert Eaton, and and uh, I I never brought up how how my skin would would dry. I mean, if I did anything with my hands, sometimes they get so dry they'd crack, and and. I never brought that up to them. And and then the problem with, as I got tired or I was sitting with people conversing, my voice would start getting, it felt like I was having problems speaking and, and, and I would get short of breath. Well, I have asthma anyway, but uh, from working in the dust environment and everything of my blasting career, but it was something that it, it had increased, but I didn't tell my physician any of that stuff. So when you go in to advocate for yourself, you have to give them even the littlest detail that you don't think is important. And you think, ah, that's tell your physician because it's a lot of times it's those little bitty details that separate one one disease from another disease. And and you know, you don't really think that that is that important. And I can say it, even as a nurse, you know, I should have known. But when you're dealing with yourself, sometimes you, you, you're you not putting all these things together. So advocate even the littlest. Write everything down and make sure when you go in for your, your um, appointments, Take somebody with you that knows you well. My wife was a great advocate for me because um, things I would forget or or didn't. She go, oh, you know. She would add some things that really assisted. So everything is important to 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 advocate for you. I think that's really important, and um, we often, you know, put a like a halo around doctors. They know all this stuff. They'll, they'll pick up on it anyway. But if they don't have the details, they can't do their job. And as you say, a detail can switch it from one thing to another. Well, and, and sometimes we like, people tend to forget. You said that we like to put a halo around a doctor. This doctor, yes, they have a lot of great extensive training, but they're still a human being. They're still trying to put the pieces together themselves. And, and when you're dealing with something that is as rare as Lambert-Eaton myasthenic syndrome, that's not going to come to their mind, first of all. They need those little bitty combination pieces to help maybe direct that way. But the thing they're going to do is they're going to start looking at the more popular, the more open, and then they need to, to narrow it down. 
And, and sometimes we just forget that these physicians are human beings just like us. I mean, we have a problem at home. We have to solve it. Now, they're trying to solve this problem for you. And so all of that that you can give them to help them put that together is very important. So thank you for sharing that. That's that's kind of the, you know, in in the medical environment, that's that's good advice there. What about life advice. What would you like to share with people who have limbs about how they manage their life with limbs? First of all, I have to tell you, attitude is one of the biggest things. I mean, anytime you start getting something that that affects your life and your lifestyle and everything, we all tend to get a little down. I call it the boo-hoos. We all get a little bit of the boo-hoos, you know, the why me's and all. But you have to push that aside and, and, and get a good attitude of, okay, this is happening. I can deal with it. I can, I can move on. I'm, I'm not going to let it defeat me. I have to get up. I have to keep moving. And one thing that I find out now you're going to have the down days. You're going to have the days that you're just really fatigued and you just really can't drum up that energy to get up and go do something. That happens, that's fine. Except those don't beat yourself up for them because it's, 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 it's something you don't have control over. And beating yourself up is, is not going to do any good. Except take the rest, but when you can, get up and move. Even on my down days, I don't let myself sit for more than about 45 minutes, and then I make myself get up and walk to the other end of the house. Uh, if I can, I'll take my little dog outside, you know, and let him run and play and all, and I'll just go out and get some fresh air. But you'll find out that the more you move, the the easier it's going to get to move and the better you're, you're, you're going to feel about yourself. And that's the main thing is attitude, attitude, attitude. You have to keep a good attitude about this. Don't beat yourself up um, and, and, and just say, okay, this is it, but I'm going to keep going. And, and you can find ways of, of continuing your lifestyle but you just have to adjust it a little bit. And that's what I've done. So, I mean, I'm still living a, a very good lifestyle. I'm happy. Uh, do I wish I was? Yeah. You know, we, you're going to have the, you know, I remember when I, you know, could get out there and hike all over, but that's fine. I'm still up moving. I'm not stuck in a wheelchair. There, There's so many positives to look at that the negatives don't even fall into line now. I don't even worry about the negatives. I just look at the positives and, and what I'm going to do, you know, later and, and just keep moving, keep moving and good attitude. That's fantastic. It's staring it in the face and saying, you know what? I'm just going to look for the good things in life. Not, not, not let the down things, the limitations bother me so much. What can I do as opposed to what can I not do? Um, anything else, any other adjustments you had to make? Well, you know, I, I and, and it does, I, I've always traveled and all, I, I, I don't travel now. Traveling is, is very difficult on me. Uh, 
but it still doesn't stop me from being able to go enjoy nature. My wife and I, we still get up into the woods. I'm not up hiking and doing all the stuff I used to, but I can still get out there. So, so do get out there, find those ways. Uh, uh, um, don't give up on dreams. I mean, I still, I love working in my shop and I love doing, you know, different projects. Now, it may take me two days to do a project I used to do in an hour or two before, but I still get to do it. I still get to do it. I still have that ability and and I'm not going to give it up. And I, I just tell people, you have those desires. You have those hobbies. You have those dreams. You can continue doing them. You just may not be able to do them as quick as you used to, but still enjoy them, still do them. I like that. So we're just about out of time. Is there anything that we have not talked about that you want to be sure our listeners hear? Well, the one thing that most people, when they, they hear about Lambert Eaton myasthenic syndrome, they see that it's associated with cancer uh, pretty significantly. And just be assured, advocate for having checked. Now, I, I get checked all the time. I, I have an old history of smoking. I have a history of working in dust. So, so cancer and lung cancer is the prevalent with this get checked, but not everybody that has limbs has cancer. So so don't think just because, oh, I'm diagnosed with limbs. Oh my goodness, I've got cancer and I'm, it's it's not so. I, I've now been dealing with cancer going on five, or uh, cancer, excuse me, limbs, and I'm cancer free. Just remember to, to stay attuned that that is a possibility. And if you happen to notice something, there again, advocate. Go to your doctor as soon as you notice something, because because that's the one thing about you know anything like that, cancer and all. Sooner diagnosed, quicker treated. It becomes a a, a something that can be taken care of. Uh, if you just ignore it, you know. But but that's something I like everybody to know. Just because you have Lambert Eaton myasthenic syndrome does not mean that you have or are going to die uh develop cancer so don't don't set and worry that's worry is not good well i want to thank you greg so much for sharing your story um, sharing your vision of what you can see outside your house um, it's very peaceful it, it creates a great place in my heart and the way that you show your attitude and looking at the positive sides of things another peaceful place in my heart. Um, I want to thank the listeners for tuning in once again. And I want to remind them that, you know, we're always looking for guests. If you'd be interested in being interviewed and telling your story, um, just go to lemsaware.com and go to the contact us button and let people know. Thank you for listening to the Lemsaware podcast. You can learn more about Lambert Eaton Myasthenic Syndrome and how to get involved in the LEMS community at www.lemsaware.com. LEMS Aware, turning LEMS knowledge into strength. The LEMS Aware podcast is produced by Salem Oaks, 
empowering patients to shape the future of medicine. 